0: This is Reclaiming Jane, an Austin podcast for fans on the margins. I'm Lauren Weathers. And I'm
1: Emily Davis-Hale. And today we're talking about chapters 26 through 30 of Mansfield Park through the lens of energy.
0: Have some energy starting this today. We we just recorded a little bit for our patrons about our thoughts on Bridgerton season two. Um, so we've already got the the recording energy going. hmm We're a little a little hyped.
1: It's gorgeous day outside. Oh my god, it's so beautiful. It's it's just contributing. Spring has sprung. We have high energy today. It's great. I love it. I am also just really excited to talk about this section. Um, because I feel like it one has some good thematic ties but also is setting us up for some for s- some future drama. Oh that... my goodness, there's definitely going to be future drama. <laughs> I can't wait. So, yeah, we'll see. I feel like maybe this will be episode two in a row where we have like high energy fun episode. We had two episodes of a downer. Maybe now we'll have two episodes of, you know, happiness and joy. We need to we need to compensate. We need to
0: balance them out a little bit. We really do. Cuz yeah, we had two major downer episodes in a row. So, <clears throat> it is my turn to recap first. It is episode. Indeed.
1: Are you ready? Yes.
0: Okay. Three, two, one, go. So after the comments at the end of the last section about seeing Fanny dance, Sir Thomas decides that he is going to give a ball before William leaves, and it's in Fanny's honor. Um, Edmund is unfortunately still on the Mary train and has kind of decided that he might want to ask her to marry him, Maybe. Um, William has given Fanny a pretty little cross pendant. She's looking for a chain. Mary offers her a fancy one, and then Edmund gives her a perfect one. Um, Oh, God. Uh, William and Henry both leave town. Henry comes back. He's going to propose to Fanny.
1: The end. Woo!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Got, Got a little off the rails there. Lauren, are you ready to give your recap?
1: Yes. All right. Three, two, one, go. Okay, everything that Emily said... Also, Fanny eventually chooses the chain that um, Edmund gives her because it's perfect and it fits her cross. And she has lots of thoughts about the chain that Mary gave to her because Henry originally gave it to her. She goes to the ball. She's very uncomfortable with the attention, but she looks fantastic. Um, Edmund and Mary have a fight-ish, and Edmund realizes that maybe she's not the girl for him. Um, Fanny has to say goodbye to William. Henry decides that he's going to marry Fanny, but he actually means it. Like, he's actually in love with her, and it's super weird.
0: There we go recaps accomplished maybe not our best showings but that's okay <laughs> maybe not but there was i god i feel like we say this every single time but there was so much that happened so we we open with sir thomas deciding that he's going to give a ball and it's only like a week until william leaves mm-hmm. so they got to get this together
1: fast and they're trying to figure out you know which young people are around that we can invite who can come on short notice Um, Mrs. Norris, of course, has something to say about how they shouldn't have a ball in Fanny's honor, and Sir Thomas is like, shut up, I already picked the date, and I already decided, and so she can't protest. She's so mad because he's already decided everything, so she can't even do any of the planning. Nope. Um, she can't bustle around and make herself feel busy, so she's miserable, but everybody else is happy. Uh, Fanny is a little bit uncomfortable because Fanny hates attention, uh, but eventually she's able to start, like, looking forward to it, like, a little baby bit. Except for the whole thing is tainted with angst over how clearly in love Edmund is with Mary. And they even have a conversation where
0: once again, it's not even really a conversation. Edmund is talking at Fanny under the guise of like looking for advice when really he just wants her to nod and smile.
1: Mm -hmm. He vexes me. I need everyone in this section to redirect their energy elsewhere. Thank you so much. The end. Okay, thanks, bye. Okay, thanks, bye. That's it. That's the episode. Yeah. Redirect your energy somewhere else.
0: (laughs) Find something better to do, please.
1: Mrs. Norris, uh, redirect your energy into kickboxing or something. Like, get your nose out of everybody else's business. I would love to see Mrs. Norris attempt kickboxing. Honestly, it's like when Regina George joined lacrosse. Or it's lacrosse or field hockey or rugby. I don't know. The point is that she needs to get out her aggression at other people through physicality instead of manipulating everybody around her. I also, so I made a stupid note in my book because I know what they mean when they say like, oh, we're picking a gold chain for Fanny because William has given her a cross, but it does not come with a chain to make it a necklace or like finding like a jewelry gold chain. I always just crack up because when I hear like, oh, I'm getting a chain, it's like, oh, I'm getting like a gold chain, like a hip hop gold chain. Yes. Sounds like Fanny's getting a gold chain. She valid. Let's go. Like <laughs> Sounds incredible. Someone draw
0: Fanny with a chain.
1: Fanny with, like, a braided gold chain. That's it. That's all I want. Incredible. Flawless. Yeah, said gold chain is a product of what initially seems like good energy between Fanny and Mary, which is then promptly ruined by Mary revealing her true intentions. Well, they're not even... I I don't know. It's hard to tell if if Mary has
0: intentions about this, but it, it comes off as that, yes, she's intentionally trying to give Fanny this necklace that Henry originally gave her and Fanny's concern is that like there's some ulterior motive that then Henry will have the opportunity to like comment on it and be like oh you're wearing a piece of jewelry that I procured so basically
1: she's expecting the Crawford siblings
0: to be weird about it.
1: And, but they are weird about it, though. They are. They're super weird about it. She's like, you can't just think of me when you have this gift. Mary. saying that. She's like, you must think of the brother also. And then Fanny goes into a tizzy. You know, she was already having a difficult time accepting the gift from Mary and is protesting to the point of almost being rude and then finally is convinced to accept the gift. And then that's when Mary says, well, don't just think of me. You have to think of Henry also. And Fanny's like, what? It's like, it's the weirdest wingman move ever. And after
0: Mary's the one who told Henry, like, don't do that to this poor girl. Now
1: she's in on it? She confuses me.
0: Uh, She's just bored.
1: Literally. Has nothing better to do. And then Fanny comes home from the parsonage, and Edmund is in her room, writing her the beginnings of a note, because he was waiting for her to come back, and she was gone. And then he stands up, and he's like, oh, well, now you're here, so I don't have to write the note. I'll just tell you, I got you this pretty chain for your necklace, and... So then Fanny is overcome because Edmund has thought of her and he's gotten her a gift. And also she now has the only letter he will ever write to her where he's addressed her by name.
0: My comment on this whole section was just that it's it's such teenage girl in love energy, mm-hmm. like the hopeless romance of it all. Um, because he's he's only written like a sentence and a half of the note that he was going to leave her before she came back into the room. But it says that she seized the scrap of paper on which Edmund had begun writing to her as a treasure beyond all her hopes. Which, like, yeah, if you were 18, had never interacted with someone in a romantic capacity before yeah
1: i i understand that energy viscerally i was thinking of you would appreciate this reference so the the one sentence that he's written before she walks into the room is my very dear fanny you must do me the favor to accept and i wrote down my dearest comma angelica energy oh that's good that is good yes Yeah, that's very much what it made me think of. And so then she has to decide whose chain she's going to wear. Does she wear her loves Edmunds or does she wear the gift that has been given to her because it would be incredibly rude not to. And I won't say who this was because I'm not going to like put them on blast, but it just reminded me of this person who I knew in college who had gotten a gift from his girlfriend and then a gift from his mother. They had both given him sunglasses. They were telling me they're like, I don't know which ones to wear on vacation Because someone's going to be mad at me. (laughs) It reminded me of that very much of I'm going to offend somebody by not wearing their gift. Who do I feel like offending?
0: Well, she even she says to Edmund, like, of course, in Fanny's mind, it's like, oh, I have to come clean about this. Mm -hmm. So she tells him that Mary has given her a necklace to wear with the cross. And he's like, oh, yeah, that one's so much nicer. It's so much more appropriate for a ball Um, Wear that one, like, don't even worry about mine. But of course, Fanny consumed with anxiety price is so relieved to find out that the decision's basically been made for her because Mary's necklace um, won't fit the cross. Mm -hmm. Of course, in the end, she actually ends up wearing both, which was, I I had a little moment of like, yay, Fanny, like, do something a little fancier for yourself. Mm -hmm. You can wear two pieces of jewelry at once. It's a ball. For you. For you. It's a ball for you. Which she apparently doesn't realize until the ball when Sir Thomas is like, no, yeah, you have to open the first dance. Like, it's a ball in your honor like you're you're the lady of the evening essentially and she's like what excuse me
1: pure panic absolute panic okay who do we think is more anxious fanny price or Cheedy from the good place i think and this is this
0: is something that that they actually addressed in the good place as well i think it has to be Cheedy just Mm. because he has so many more things to be anxious about this is fair because of the state of the modern world
1: that is fair enough yeah he also literally goes to hell because of his anxiety. Yeah. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> which was which is a little too relatable. <laughs> Can't make a decision over anything and that and leads to your demise because you're just stressing over every little thing. Yeah, in, in terms of like
0: absolute levels of anxiety, mm. I don't know if I could make a decision between Fanny and JD. They're pretty equal, honestly.
1: Yeah. Both of them just balls of anxiety at all times. Yeah, that's uh, all of Fanny's
0: energy is directed towards being anxious about
1: pleasing other people, Mm -hmm. which
0: is so exhausting
1: to read. It really is. It's like, you know, I, too, have been a people pleaser in my life, but I would like to think that I was never that much of a people pleaser to where I lost all sense of self. And speaking of other, like, options and things to stress about, though, one of the things that I made note of was you know even something as simple as a ball has dozens of potential interactions and slights to consider where she's talking about to dance without much observation or any extraordinary fatigue to have strength and partners for about half the evening to dance a little with edmund and not a great deal with mr crawford to see william enjoy himself and be able to keep away from her (laughs) aunt norris was the height of her ambition and seemed to comprehend her greatest possibility of happiness where it should just be a normal ball no big deal but in order for everything to go perfectly she's like okay i have to be a little bit of this and a little of that spend some time here but not too much over there to be seen as the perfect pious presentable young woman
0: yeah she has all of these internal standards that she's set for herself that no one except maybe aunt norris actually has imposed for her everyone else is just like be a normal 18 year old girl That's it. Pages later where I just wrote down, you've broken the poor girl.
1: Seriously.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and speaking of Aunt Norris, that horrible jealousy that I talked about last episode Mm -hmm. comes back um, at the beginning of chapter 28. They're talking about how nice Fanny looks in advance of the ball. And Aunt Norris says, she has good reason to look well with all her advantages, brought up in this family as she has been with all the benefit of her cousin's manners before her. And of course, Mrs. Norris is also, she gives herself credit for the cousin's manners. Mm-hmm. She she thinks that she's partially responsible for how well Julia and Mariah turned out. And so she's still pissed that Fanny has gotten to grow up in a higher status than she was born to and a higher status than
1: Mrs. Norris has achieved. Mm-hmm. Just what a shrew. What a horrible woman. I need her to redirect her energy again into anything else. Literally anything else. Just the
0: worst. Get into really aggressive needlepoint. I don't know.
1: Something. Please. Like embroider curse words or something and then burn it. I don't know. Just like do something else with your time. Anything but bullying your niece for no reason. And inserting yourself into literally everything that your brother-in-law does. She keeps saying like, oh, well, what we have done to bring up. Like, girl, who was we? There is no we. (laughs) Who is this we you speak of? We speak French now? Like, what?
0: (laughs) I'm just so grateful that I don't have to spend time in real life around a person like this. Because I think I would have to go
1: to prison because I would (laughs) murder them. (laughs) I have the curse of a very expressive face when i don't realize that my face is portraying all of my emotions at once and even if i managed to hold my tongue i would have the girl what the hell look on my face the whole time and it would get me in trouble yeah
0: which is very entertaining for those around you but uh yeah not not... for me (laughs) the lack of a poker face would be problematic in this instance yes it would
1: though speaking of the ball and energy though I loved the descriptions that we get in the narration of how the energy of the room shifts with like each new addition to the party to where, you know, with a certain number of couples, there's conversation, but it's a little bit stilted. It's a bit awkward. And then a few more carriages arrive and now people can break off into their groups, into their cliques. And now everything feels a lot more relaxed and happy because people are talking to people with whom they're comfortable and then kind of documenting the flow of energy throughout the night. And then finally into the next morning where the house is... Much quieter and melancholy because William is leaving and the frivolity of the night is over. I liked that description of just like how social energy shifts depending on who's in the room and what's happening. I really liked that. Yeah, the the way that you described that just then,
0: it it feels sort of like the sense that you get in like Cinderella Mm. or something where, you know, at a certain moment, like the focus changes to one person or another and then like
1: the morning after you have just that like the energy let down or alternatively that one shot scene in pride and prejudice 2005 at the ball (laughs) so good can't not think of it it's so it's excellent i just love that movie so much but um
0: sir thomas is very pleased with with fanny's comportment at the ball He thinks that she she looks very well, very appropriate, but also quite beautiful Mm -hmm. Um, and also says he was proud of his niece and without attributing all her personal beauty as Mrs. Norris seemed to do to her transportation to Mansfield. So he's just like, yes, she's a lovely young girl and he recognizes the advantages that she's had, but also that she is her own person Mm -hmm.
1: who is quite nice. With one line, he's already better than Mrs. Norris. You know how awful you have to be for the literal slaver to be better than you? Look, we've already (laughs) talked
0: about how Mrs. Norris would just be straight up a slavery apologist. She really would. um, But yeah, he he is very pleased with her behavior, with how she is modest without being rude. Mm -hmm. She dances
1: appropriately with the people that she should. Um, she opens the ball with Henry. She opens the ball. Yes. Everything has gone quite the way he imagined. And he is convinced that Henry Crawford is in love with Fanny. And so he's purposely invites him over the next morning for breakfast with William before they leave because Sir Thomas is seeing the way that he's interacting with Fanny and the attention that he's paying to her. And is like, let me have my own little matchmaker moment of my own. Henry would you like to come over for breakfast tomorrow morning. He's actually, like, looking out for
0: Fanny's future in a way that neither Lady Bertram or Aunt Norris will do. Because the two of them are just like, oh, yeah, Fanny will always be around the house. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just kind of expecting her to be a lifelong companion for them. Um, But Sir Thomas is like,
1: no, we're going to get you hitched. They have no motivation to have any personal interest in her life because if she... Has to stay there, then it's to their benefit. But if they get her married off, then they've lost their entertainment. And yeah. then what are they going to do?
0: Right now, she's well trained to attend to their every need. And that's a perfectly respectable position for, you know, a, a woman of her birth, a lower class relation <laughs> to be attendant upon the noble ladies. I can't.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> Shout out to Sir Thomas for actually trying to do right by Fanny.
0: Yeah, that's one thing we can give him. We'll give you that. We have questions about some other aspects of your life, but we'll give you that.
1: You're nice to Fanny right now. And I think the last energy note that I had before we move on to like historical context and pop culture and this or other energy things that you wanted to point out was the desperate energy from Mary in those last couple chapters because she's figured out that she has maybe said too much when it comes to Edmund because Edmund has finally figured out that Mary has seemed a little bit hot and cold. Like, one of the things that he's talking to Fanny about is that, you know, sometimes when I consider what her response would be if I were to ask her, you know, that significant question, I think absolutely yes. And then other times her behavior or things that she says leads me to believe that it would be like a scornful no. And he's finally figured out that, hmm, maybe this person who rags on the clergy all the time and also has said how much she prefers living in London and doesn't want to be in the country – Maybe wouldn't be happy with someone who's going to be a clergyman in the country and has kind of cooled off towards Mary and also didn't specifically go ask her to marry him like Fanny thought that he was going to do. Mary also feels that slight, and so she comes over to ask Fanny like where's Edmund been these days like you know when he's coming back because he's also gone, he's gone off to Thornton Lacey and he's gone to be ordained he's gone to be ordained and mary is now having a panic attack about it and she's like well shit let me go talk to fanny and see what she knows and so at first lady bertram's in the room because of course that's where fanny spends all of her time and then once lady bertram is like vacated the premises then mary seizes her chance and is just even fanny can tell that she's not her normal self that now there's a tinge of desperation to, oh no, I fucked up. She can see this slipping through her fingers like, mm-hmm. oh, I might actually have gone too far
0: and lost my opportunity with Edmund. Yep. Which, from what we can tell, has been her best chance so far. Mm hmm. You done messed so up. That's Ron. definitely some desperate energy. Yeah. Yeah. I did actually have one more mm, energy note. Um, the change in Henry's energy from that yes. initial decision last section that he's going to make Fanny Price fall in love with him. To is is Henry in love with Fanny? Because he's decided that he's going to ask Fanny to marry him. He's decided that she would make an excellent wife and that he wants to settle down with her, which
1: is just... What? A complete 180.
0: Yeah, like, sorry, is this the same Henry Crawford who left for London a few days ago? Because I think a different
1: guy came back. I don't know what's happening here. Like, are you the same person who's flirting with both of the Bertram sisters? <gasps> right? Without any intention of following through with either of them? And now you want to marry Fanny? Did you bump your head?
0: Yeah, I I don't think that he's really, like, in love with her. He just thinks that she would be a proper little wife. mm mm-hmm. To make a household for him. Which he's right. She'll never say no. She's never going to argue with you. Yeah. But he he says some very pretty things. About making Fanny happy. And being in love with her. But I, I, I don't know if he's outright lying about that. To assuage Mary. Or if he's convinced himself this he's actually in love with Fanny. But
1: And even the nice thing he says is... Kind of building up his own ego rather than being nice to Fanny. Just nobody else has paid attention to her and no one else has given her her due, but I will. I see the special thing. I can do whatever. Yep. I have
0: it highlighted. Uh, He says, it will be the completion of my happiness to know that I am the doer of it, of making her happy, that I am the person to give the consequence so justly her due. And my literal note that I wrote in my copy was, there it is. It's for his own consequence. Mm Mm-hmm. He wants to feel good about giving Fanny the things that she deserves, but he doesn't actually care about Fanny getting what she deserves and the happiness that she should have. Mm -mm. It's just, I want to feel good about doing something for this poor
1: little girl. He feels like he's doing charity work. Yes. Yes. This goes back to what we said last episode about people being equals. This is clearly not a relationship of equals if you're already condescending to ask this person to marry you. Yep. Yep. So we'll see how that plays out next episode. Ooh, we'll see. That ended on like a semi-cliffhanger of he's going to ask Fanny to marry him, but he hasn't actually gone off to ask permission or anything yet. He's just told Mary what his intentions are. To be continued. That's the end of chapter 30. We can assume, I think, that Sir Thomas
0: would agree, but how would Fanny react?
1: Yeah. I I mean,
0: would she say yes out of obligation? Would she be so taken aback that she would actually turn down something that wouldn't make her happy? We'll see. Tune in next time to find out. I mean, we're like, we're like, okay, well, we're a little over halfway through the book now. It's like, it's too early for Fanny to actually accept a proposal at this point. (laughs) We'll see. We shall see. But um, moving backwards through our section a little bit for historical context, I wanted to get a little bit into what's going on with this ball and the role that it plays in like courtship and stuff excellent please continue yeah so we especially back in pride and prejudice we saw several balls we haven't really had that in mansfield park but in pride and prejudice especially we saw sort of the difference between like private versus public events so this is very much a private ball Mm. it's given in a private home by a single host and it's attendance only by invitation. It's not something that you can purchase a ticket to, like uh, might happen in London during the season. And this is really a crux of social interaction, especially for people who are on like that courtship market. So this is this is a really important field of play, basically, for the people who are eligible. Um, and that's that seems to be kind of one of the main reasons why why these things are put on is to give young unmarried people a chance to interact in a controlled setting. Especially in a private ball, it's very much controlled because all the people are there explicitly by invitation. They have been chosen by the host. Even things like introductions are heavily mediated. So all unmarried young ladies are under the supervision of a chaperone, Mm -hmm. usually an older married lady. So their mother, their aunt, something like that. Clearly Fanny is replete with chaperones here. She can't go anywhere. She can't go anywhere. Um, But yeah, so in any young gentleman that she meets at this ball, um, that introduction would have to be mediated by either the host, so presumably her uncle, or by a mutual friend of those parties. Any young gentleman would have to be introduced to her before he could ask her to dance. And then that dancing actually served an important Recording role. This is the place where you're able to converse without so much opportunity of like your horrible aunt listening over your shoulder. So one thing is the the actual dances that they're doing. It's not the one on one waltzes that Bridgerton loves so much to get people like really face to face. The they, drama. I, oh my god, such drama. Um, waltzes were not happening at balls at this particular point. Um, Uh, Well, maybe a little bit, but like towards the end of the 1810s, they were becoming more popular. But at this point, like when Jane Austen is writing Mansfield Park, it was more these dances that are performed like sort of in lines. Mm. So yes, you're coupled off, but each couple will like dance between each other and they're sort of facing each other. Exactly the kind of thing you see in like all the Pride and Prejudice adaptations and stuff like that. Um, And so there's a lot of kind of downtime, idle time, both on the floor and off the floor where you have the opportunity to kind of chat with your partner, have a little casual conversation, feel them out a bit, I guess. So presumably that's the kind of thing that Fanny would be doing if she weren't Fanny. I can only assume that she does not speak a word to any of her partners. (laughs) <laughs> even even when she dances with Edmund it says in the book that like they went through it so soberly that Sir Thomas is like ah yes no one can accuse me of having tried to raise a wife for my second son which is just so like I can't even get into that right now Where do we even start <laughs> seriously But these private balls especially were big affairs they would go all night Jane Austen actually wrote once about a ball that she had attended that started at 9 p.m. They had their supper at 1 a.m. Oh, my God. And yeah, a lot of these balls would culminate in like a breakfast for everyone who was still there. They would keep dancing till like 7 a.m. and then eat breakfast and then leave. Wow. So in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, when the Bennetts are driving away in their carriage in the morning, like, yeah, that's not actually that unusual. They would have stayed literally all night. They just keep going keep the party going yeah so poor fanny really really tapped out early 3
1: a.m Jeez, i'm so glad you brought that up because i was so confused and i said like you're you have to go up early and it's three o'clock in the morning i was like that's early they partied hard man bars close at 2 a.m in most cities and this ball is still going and she's going to bed early at three o'clock in the morning. It's like, okay, damn, I didn't know the Regency got down like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of excessive, honestly. I don't know if I could make it through a Regency ball. What am I saying? I absolutely could not.
1: Yeah, I feel like put you in a different context and you'd be fine. You would have like taken a nap beforehand. That's true. I would have, have prepared. You would have prepped. You would yeah. have Yeah, you could have made it.
0: And also it's not like going out on a Friday night after a full work week, like
1: you're you're a person of leisure mm-hmm. like, like you're you're up and dancing at a regency ball but also like you said there's lots of idle time within the dance yeah and, and you can like go mean, and they sit, do down. sit
0: down and have a meal which mm-hmm.
1: i maintain
0: more parties these days need to do that i agree yes if you're if you're going to have a long party you you need to have a meal
1: <laughs> this is a, a hostess note. feed me <laughs> For all people who are throwing house parties in the near future, um, do not just have charcuterie boards, feed people meals. (laughs) You can start with charcuterie boards, but I want to sit down with a plate and a fork at some point. But be warned, that may mean that people are in your house until three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So if you don't want that, maybe just let them starve and then they leave. (laughs) Starve me out, that's the easiest way to get rid of me. Speaking of
0: getting rid of people, though, mm. I mentioned before that a, a gentleman once introduced could ask a lady to dance, but it was unfortunately for Fanny quite rude to refuse uh, an invitation to dance. <clears throat> Eloise, <clears throat> yeah. So if you if you refused an eligible gentleman and you were not already engaged for that set, um, that was kind of indicating like I'm done dancing for the night. So, if you stood up with someone else, like that is a slight to whoever asked you. Got it. Yeah. But also, Edmund mentions, and I think a couple other times throughout the section, it's mentioned um, the idea of a set. Uh, so, that's typical. You ask to dance two consecutive dances with someone. Um, And that is generally all you would dance with one person. If you take more than one set with the same partner, that's indicating, like, a very specific interest in that person. Like, you'd better be on the brink of engagement if you're going to dance more than two with Mm -hmm. someone. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So poor Fanny has so much to be anxious about with this ball. She's never been to a ball before, and suddenly, like... She's basically the guest of honor. Like, this is functionally her coming out. Mm-hmm. Fanny's out now. Fanny's out now. We
1: finally have an answer to the question.
0: Congratulations, Fanny. We're so proud of you.
1: You may or may not be snatched up off the market in about two days, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a very successful ball If that were <laughs> Oh, yeah.
0: So, yeah, that's, uh, that's what's going on with all these people invading Fanny's house that she now has to tiptoe around, not offending anyone. So many social conventions. I know, right? That's so exhausting. As if we don't also have myriad social conventions that would baffle anyone else. This is very true. We're just not aware of them because we live within them. Yep. Well, I don't, I don't know what your pop culture connection is, so I don't know how to transition, but that was because this section focused so heavily on the ball, that felt like um, a perfect little
1: nugget to pull out for historical context I love it I feel like that works really well I don't have like a thematic pop culture connection it's more well it is tied to our theme but perhaps not uniform is what I'm looking for okay so in the theme of energy you know one of the slang terms that you hear is like oh such and such has blank energy So I am taking that and applying it to like some six of the characters from Mansfield Park. Like this character has this character's energy. (laughs) Okay. I can't wait to hear what you come up with. (laughs) Okay. So I started off with our dear, dear Fanny Price. God bless. Um, God love her. Bless Bless her heart. (laughs) Bless her heart. The epitome of bless her heart. Fanny Price has Toru energy from the anime Fruits Basket. (laughs) I wish I had the context for that. I don't know fruits basket. I feel like most people who are listening to this also don't. The people who do are going to be very excited, but most of the people listening probably don't. Um, but that is based off of a manga series that came out in like the early 2000s. And then the anime just had a revival over the last couple of years. But Toru is this... Very, very sweet teenager who is embarrassed when people pay attention to her and is just like the sweetest, loveliest girl who people really love and pay attention to, but she's taken in by another family because she can't be with her original family, so she like makes her way into this other family completely on accident, blah, 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 and is obliging to a fault. Just very sweet, very demure, very obliging. Um, that sounds like Fanny. Yep. Toru, I think, has more of a spine and energy than Fanny does, but, like, the essence of their two characters, very much alike. All right. Yeah. Um, So Fanny has big Toru energy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The next person I did, you will know this reference. Okay. So I chose Edmund, specifically thinking about how he is sanctimonious and self-righteous and overly pious. Edmund has Edward Cullen energy. Oh,
0: Tell me I'm wrong. You're not. <laughs>
1: oh, no. He really does. He was the hardest one when I was trying to think of like, who does he remind me of? He reminds me of ever Cullen. He always knows better than you. He's trying to tell you what he thinks you should do. And it's always with an air of I have the moral high ground. Listeners, I wish
0: you could have seen the way I just lost my <laughs> shit at <in> that comparison. <laughs> Almost fell out of my chair. What? I mean, you're correct. (laughs) You are. But that never in a million years would have crossed my mind that that's who you would choose to compare Edmund to. Welcome to my brain. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Edmund Bertrand and Edward Cullen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't admit that they're wrong
1: just just plow right through. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we'll always think that they know best for you and whatever they choose should make you happy cuz it makes them happy. All right, we have we have Edmund and Edward. So mm-hmm. who's up next? Okay. Um so our next person is Mary Crawford. Okay. And I went in a different direction for that. I think that she has the baroness from the 2021 Cruella energy. (laughs) So that is the character that Emma Thompson plays. Okay. Um, She's a little bit Miranda Priestly from The Devil Wears Prada. I don't know who else you would compare her with, but uh, I think Miranda Priestly is the best descriptor because she's, you know, head of a fashion magazine and Emma Stone's Cruella is like trying to get in her good graces, blah, blah, blah. That feels very Devil Wears prada what I'm thinking of for Mary is how the Baroness is always like slyly manipulating people behind the scenes. And that gives Mary energy to me. So, Mary to me has the Baroness energy from Cruella. But, like, if you aged Mary by like 50 years and put her in a position of power, there she is. Okay. She is Baroness from 2021, Cruella. I feel like I could come up with a better comparison for her, but that's where my brain went first. So, that's fair. I'm saying she has Baroness energy and we're going to go with it. All right. Okay. Henry Crawford, her brother. Did you ever see The Princess Diaries?
0: What kind of question is that? Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Who is he?
1: Josh Bryant, the blonde kid. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) No. Who only pays attention to Mia once she's a princess. Exactly. Hey. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be with you. That is who Henry Crawford
1: is. (laughs) That's incredible. Oh, my God. He is the preppy blonde boy from The Princess Diaries, Josh Bryant. (laughs) Amazing. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that, that comparison just makes me laugh every time I think about it because it just lines up so perfectly. Yeah. So that's who that's who Henry is. I like that a lot. Mariah, I had two for her. One that's just her on her own and then one that's her with Julia. Okay. Mariah on her own gives me Gretchen Wiener's energy from Mean Girls. <laughs> Very much my dad, the inventor of Toaster Strudel, would not be happy to hear about this. Mariah. <laughs> and then together with Julia – they give me evil stepsisters, specifically from the Hillary Duff Cinderella story. Oh, God. I don't have think I've seen that since middle school. I have not seen it in ages. But specifically, if you have not seen that movie, just look up the car wash scene from a Cinderella story with those two stepsisters and tell me that that is not Mariah and Julia fighting over Henry Crawford. All right. That's going to be the first thing I do when we finish recording. <laughs> it just... It lines up so well, which then makes Lady Bertram Jennifer Coolidge as the evil stepmother. (laughs) I just love
0: everything Jennifer Coolidge does.
1: Agreed. She can do no wrong. So that would be the female Bertrams over there. We have the evil stepsisters and the evil stepmother, but make it early 2000s. Now I just really,
0: I really want to see an adaptation of Mansfield Park with Jennifer Coolidge as Lady Bertram. (laughs) Please give it to me. Make it happen. I mean, it's definitely high time that we had another... Mansfield Park, right? Mm-hmm. So make Jennifer Coolidge Lady Bertram. We've already started casting for you.
1: That we So easy. She can just be American with no other explanation. She can be like Cora in Downton Abbey where he married an American. It's fine. Don't make her do a British accent just, because then you lose all things good about Jennifer Coolidge.
0: Just make it another one of these ahistorical things. Exactly. Like there's so many like The Great and Our Flag Means Death mm-hmm. where it's like yeah, this is vaguely based on something but also we're going to throw all of the rules out and make it better. So give us that kind of mansfield park, please. Please. Please it. and thank
1: you. Yes. That was incredible. Do we have any anybody else? I had like... one final look. Okay, who is um, it Um, and I probably should have left the Bertrams as like my grand finale, but I was skipping over because I did Mariah and then this person and then Julia and Mariah together. Okay. But I was trying to think of like what himbo energy can I give to Mr. Rushworth, and I decided upon Emmett Cullen. So we have a two twilight one.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, that one's that one's so good, too, because there's, like, the problematic elements, too, mm-hmm.
1: but also just himbo. Yep. And I feel like with both Mr. Rushworth and Emmett, they're not quite No Thoughts Head Empty. Like, there's a little bit of cunning there. It's just, like, very, it's buried very, way down deep. It is. It is extremely No Thoughts Head Empty vibe. The vibe is there. Yeah. And then I also feel like Mr. Rushworth has the potential to dote on a partner the way that Emmett does on Rosalie. I don't know that he would do that with Mariah, but the potential is there. Mm -hmm. I feel like Mariah wouldn't let him. No.
0: Um, She wants to be spoiled, yes, but she doesn't want to be doted on, I feel like. Agreed.
1: Yes. There's a subtle difference there somehow. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it, but there's a difference. So those those are my pop culture connections. Fanny Price has Toru energy. Edmund has Edward Cullen energy. (laughs) Mary Crawford is the Baroness, Henry Crawford is Josh Bryant from The Princess Diaries, Julia and Mariah and Lady Bertram are the evil stepsisters and stepmother, and then Mr. Rushworth is Emmett Cullen.
0: Well done. That was so <laughs> excellent. I love I love when you do these comparisons for the pop culture connection because
1: it's just hilarious every time and so spot on. Thank you. I think Edmund and Edward might be my favorite.
0: They're very good. That's very good.
1: <laughs> this is my calling someone has to do it you know you're my hero Lauren this random encyclopedic pop culture knowledge has to be good for something yeah
0: I mean like like you said last time when I got to go on my my tangent about muslin Mm -hmm. what do you need trivia nights for when you have a podcast exactly Thank you for indulging me. That was so fun. You're so welcome. Thank you for bringing that energy to the podcast. You're welcome. Always a delight. Anytime. So, all right, final takeaways. You you are up first because I recapped. So what's your final takeaway for this
1: section, Lauren? Everybody redirect your energy somewhere else. Amen. You're all wrong. Everybody fix it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I can get behind that. Absolutely, 100%. What is your final
0: takeaway? Mine, I think, is a little too similar to yours, maybe. Mm. Um, but to a certain extent, we do have some control over where we direct our energies. And we we can choose better places, to put it. I agree. So it's basically the same as yours. but
1: Well, yours was generalized, and mine was just ragging on the characters. So okay. you at least gave advice to listeners. I was sure. Just- bitching at people. (laughs) Look, sometimes we just have to do that.
0: Sometimes they're just driving us up a wall. Sometimes people deserve to get dragged. Yeah. Let's see how we're going to drag them next week. Our card is the emperor or the king of spades. Ooh, okay. We actually got like a major arcana one. Let's go. It's a portrait in
1: profile of a young gentleman. Who is it? It is Captain Wentworth, and I won't read you the full description because he's from Persuasion and you've not read it yet.
0: No spoilers for 200-year-olds' books,
1: No spoilers, um, but this theme is authority. Authority? Yes.
0: Ooh, okay. I feel like we're going to have some interesting implications with authority in the next section, just given what's been set up. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to get into that one. I think that's
1: going to be a good one. All right. Authority. Uh, Well chosen.
0: Thanks. I did it on purpose.
1: Thank you for joining us in this episode of Reclaiming Jane. Next time, we'll be reading chapters 31 through 35 of Mansfield Park with a focus on authority. To read our show notes and a transcript of this episode, check out our website, reclaimingjanepod.com, where you can also find the full back catalog and links to our social media. If you'd like to support us and gain access to exclusive content, like all of our thoughts on Bridgerton, you can join our Patreon at Reclaiming Jane Pod.
0: Reclaiming Jane is produced and co-hosted by Lauren Weathers and Emily Davis-Hale. Our music is by Latasha Bundy, and our show art is by Emily Davis-Hale. See you next time, nerds. More likely to self-destruct than to actually admit that they might be wrong. Mm -hmm. Yep. Hopefully
1: less literally in Edmund's case. (laughs) I don't know what to expect out of Jane Austen now. You know, I I don't see Edmund flying to Italy to go commit suicide by government official. Um... (laughs) <laughs> so maybe in that sense they're different, but
0: I i have had I feel like Twilight has come up so often for me in the last few months. I I think I sent Lauren a screenshot of this conversation that um my sister texted me. Oh you did? She's yeah. Like, yeah, I was just thinking about Twilight the other day. I just wanna know what the political ramifications are of the last Twilight book. Like after they defeat the Volturi, what happens then? Like why are you texting me? It was like the middle of the day. Like, aren't you at work? What's going on here? <laughs> because these are the people
1: with whom we spend our time. Yes. Yes. And I love it. It's nerds all the way down.
0: It really is.